So, all right, hello once again to all, all of our listeners out there in points unknown throughout the Cotton Belt, all of y'all from California to the Carolinas. Hello, we are back once again on this uh, July, rather June 21st, uh, uh, the summer solstice, as I understand. I think this is the longest day of the year, but I'm honestly not 100% sure. I'm certain, however, that my partner in crime, Jim Stedman, Knows that? I, I think. I think if you go back and check your science books from grade school uh-huh. uh, and, and middle school and high school, you will find that yes, the the summer solstice, June twenty first, is technically the longest day of the year. Uh, obviously, it's not going to be the shortest because there is no uh, no sign of the sun going down on us out there. That's but true here here at two in the afternoon. You're right. Yeah, we. Uh, uh, it, it's like working with a with a, a walking almanac, folks. It's a luxury I have. Uh, <laughs> getting to, getting to ask these things that I should have learned somewhere around second or third grade, or the last time I picked up an almanac. Anyhow, uh, I am Beck Barnes, the publisher and editor here at Cotton Grower Magazine, and I am here uh, with the man you just heard from, our senior editor. Mr. Jim Stebbin. Hello, Jim. How you doing today? I'm doing fine, Beck. And for all our listeners out there, I'm sure you know there, there comes a point in your life where you realize your mind is full of useless information that, that you just can't, you can't remember what you did yesterday, but you can certainly remember a theme song <laughs> from a 60s TV show. <laughs> and you're there. You're and there. I'm definitely there. You got it. Um, so good deal. As we said, today is Wednesday, June 21. Um, and as we speak, much of the Mid-South, we are in Memphis, Tennessee, much of the Mid-South, uh, the areas south of here are hunkering down as either hurricane or tropical storm Cindy uh, begins to dump rain on the region uh, following loosely the uh, the Mississippi River straight down into the Gulf of Mexico. Rather, it's coming up from the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, so it is certainly not as if uh, our guys, our listeners, from that area have not had enough water already this spring and uh, early summer. It has been a wet one. Um, so we will get into that here in a minute. I don't want to step on any toes because I know that my man Jim here uh, is going to discuss some of those issues as he brings us a crop progress report for the Mid-South and across the Cotton Belt. Uh, I believe the the uh, report that he goes off of is state by state. So. He's going to lead us in that discussion, uh, as he always does, uh, about various news topics that are impacting our cotton industry, the hottest of news items from around the cotton industry. Uh, Items that Jim will be discussing today in our hard news segment include, but are not limited to, uh, crop progress number, uh, excuse me, crop progress numbers, um, the new uh, Dow DuPont corporate merger update that we just saw, I believe this week or the week last week, maybe late last week. Yes. There you go. Um, so we have some news about some new nominees there at the Cotton Board. We have, amazingly enough, we have uh, the first bale of harvested cotton for 2017 to tell you about here on June 21. Uh, wildly enough, it never fails when we do. When we put that story on our website about the first bale being harvested, someone from up there in uh, on the high plains will let us know that they are not done planting yet. So we and we understand that we get it. It's a we big, get it. Yeah. It's a big country. Um, anyhow, we, so we have that story to tell you about. Uh, we have a story about a Texas gin that is expanding or being built to be the country's country's largest. 
And then uh, some news about the still relatively new world cotton contract uh, that I believe uh, ICE International Cotton Exchange is dropping uh, for reasons that Jim will elaborate upon. So not only are we talking about these things, we also want to talk about a, a, a truly kind of hot button topic also here in the Mid-South, and that is that these issues of dicamba drift, which reared their ugly head last season, uh, have started to pop up again now that we are entering peak you know, weed control season here in the Cotton Belt in the Mid-South. So we want to get into what's going on there. There's a little more to it than meets the eye um, that we want to tell you about why it's happening and what you can do if you are listening to us from some other pocket or region or corner of the Cotton Belt to make sure that this doesn't happen to you and your neighbors. So uh, for now, we just want to take a quick break. We will have some hard news for you on the flip side of this music break, uh, but hang out and we will be right back with you. Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Well, welcome back to the Cotton Companion. As Beck stated, we've uh, we've got a couple news items to kind of go through, uh, items that are impacting the industry right now or should be of interest to the industry. Uh, and we're going to start, as usual, with the current USDA crop progress report. This would be the report that was dated June 18th. Um, looking at the cotton stats on this, 94% uh, of the cotton acres in the U.S. have been planted uh, realistically, I think we can say at this point in time, uh, with the exception of a few spots still probably in the high plains of Texas, uh, we pretty much have the cotton crop in the ground. Uh, we, what we have is what we have. Uh, and we'll find out uh, exactly what we have uh, on June 30th when USDA releases its planted acres report for 2017, and we'll see just how close to their projection of 12.2 million acres of cotton uh, we actually were able to get this year. Uh, when you look at the cotton squaring numbers, uh, at this point, as of June 18th, we're looking at 22% of the crop was already showing squares, uh, which is, is actually ahead of the five-year average uh, that you normally find for this date. And as part of that also, there are nine states nine of the cotton producing states are running ahead of their five-year average. So that gives you a good indication of how early this crop is and how well it's taken off uh, and just how well it's doing at this point from an overall perspective. Looking at it from a, the crop condition perspective also tells a story at this point. We're looking at 61 percent of the crop right now is rated good to excellent. 33 percent of the crop is rated fair and only 6% falls into the poor to very poor category. 
those are really strong numbers for this early in the season. Uh, and as Beck mentioned with some of the weather issues we have, we're going to be watching these numbers over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've got the tropical storm that's, that's coming up uh, from the Gulf. That's obviously going to impact uh, coastal Texas, the Mid-South, and lower parts of the Southeast uh, at a critical point where the crop may not need as much rain as it may be getting. Uh, we've heard some reports out of coastal, uh, coastal Alabama and coastal Mississippi of seven, seven and a half inches of rain in the last uh, 24 hours. So let's just hope those, that type of total doesn't, doesn't come, come our way or into, uh, into too many fields. Uh, and also over in the southwest, you're dealing with hot, dry conditions, in some cases some record-breaking heat. 100-plus uh, temp temperatures uh, in parts of Texas, and the farther west you go into Arizona, I think they were looking at 120 degrees in Phoenix uh, and, and all over into, uh, into parts of Southern California. That obviously could have an impact on, uh, on crop condition as we move ahead. So uh, we'll be watching those numbers over the next week or so, and, uh, but right now the crop is off to a, a great start. Uh, it's looking very, very promising indeed. Um, next segment or next item, sort of an update on uh, on where some of our corporate mergers stand at this point. Uh, and the reason we bring this up, we've kind of we've kind of stepped back from that uh, at this point because you're, you've reached the the point in the negotiations where it really gets kind of boring and meddlesome, <laughs> and 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 nobody really. Nobody wants to share information until certain certain milestones are met. Well, we've got a milestone. Uh, DuPont and Dow uh, reached an agreement last week with the Antitrust Division of the U.S. Department of Justice uh, that basically will let the companies move ahead with uh, what they're calling their proposed merger of equals. Now, the only things that they had to do in terms of getting uh, Department of Justice approval on this, uh, it, it, it's also it's consistent with some of the commitments they had to make to get uh, the approval out of the European Commission. Uh, DuPont is selling two product lines. One is its uh, finesse herbicide, and the other is its Rhinexapir insecticide products, both of those out of their crop protection portfolio. Dow is going to divest out of the chemical side of their business its global ethylene acrylic acid copolymers and ionomers business. For that those, for was, those of well you, done. that for, <laughs> I've been practicing all morning on that. For those, for those of us not in the heavy chemicals business, that means absolutely nothing. But uh, you know, but to the folks at, at Dow and Dupont who are involved in multiple, multiple sides of the chemical business, I'm sure that's a that's a very important deal. Uh, this proposed agreement uh, does not require the companies to make any additional uh, divestitures. Uh, so at this point. We've got the U.S. clearance. We have clearances uh, also in Europe, Brazil, and China for this merger. Uh, right now, the, the expected date to get everything closed uh, will be sometime in August of this year. Uh, and as we've noted before, what the, the, the plans on this is after the companies merge, they're going to uh, subdivide it into three different uh, business units. One of those will be ag. Uh, and they're intending after this merger closes, hopefully in August, that those intended spinoffs are, will uh, will be in place within 18 months. So uh, something to keep an eye on. Uh, it looks like this one is going to move through fairly cleanly. Uh, as we also understand it, Syngenta and ChemChina is uh, are moving into the final stages of uh, of getting that 
that merger put together. All of the approvals are in place for that as well. That leaves the Bayer and Monsanto uh, deal, which is still active, still moving. Uh, and I guess the latest latest news on that would be that uh, reports that Syngenta and BASF are both considering uh, making a bid for Bayer's Liberty businesses, which uh, includes obviously Liberty Herbicide uh, and all of the seeds that would be uh, tolerant or, or fallen under the glufosinate tolerance. And that would also, from a cotton perspective, would, would, would be the uh, Stoneville and Fibermax uh, product lines. So we'll wait and see how that one works out. But right now it looks like, uh, looks like we can expect uh, Dow DuPont and uh, Syngenta Chem China to be settled down and, and done before the, uh, in, the, in the very near future. Um, Beck mentioned Cotton Board nominees. Well, we don't really have any official nominees to talk about at this point because right now USDA is looking for nominations for candidates. They have 13 member and 13 alternate positions for the Cotton Board to fill. Uh, those nominations are made by what they call certified producer organizations and certified importer organizations. Uh, those organizations will caucus here within the next uh, within the next month to nominate two qualified persons for each open position representing their states. Uh, right now, the open positions that will be uh, that will be available will represent cotton producers in Arkansas, uh, California, Nevada. Work together. Uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, and Texas. And uh, the importer side of the business also for the Cotton Board will be looking for nominees to fill vacancies there. Uh, those people, once, they are, uh, once they're nominated and approved by the Secretary of Agriculture, they will begin ter serve terms that begin January 1st of next year and end on December 31st of 2020. Uh, and again, those caucuses are going to be held between July 6th and July 20th. Uh, if you're interested or if you want more details on what this process involves, uh, go to cottongrower.com. We have an article up uh, online titled USDA Seeks Cotton Board Nominees, and in that article you will find uh, information on the nomination and the caucus process, including the, uh, the folks at USDA that, uh, that you would need to get in touch with in order to make a nomination or to possibly nominate yourself. So. Uh, again, check out that article on cottongrower.com. It's titled USDA Seeks Cotton Board Nominees. Uh, next would be uh, the report out of South Texas, of all places, that the uh, first uh, certified bale of cotton in the U.S. for 2017 uh, was delivered by uh, Wyatt Agri-Products Agri uh, to the Harlingen, Texas Gin Company at 12.18 p.m. on June 6th. I guess that's important because it's a it's a this is this is a very big deal in this part of Texas. Well, it's, if you were going to wait till after lunch to bring your bail, oh, absolutely, you're out of luck. Yeah, if you your second place is first loser. That's exactly right. You got you <laughs> got to get it there just as quickly as you can. Absolutely. Um, the report that we that we have is uh, this cotton was picked north of uh, of the Ed Couch Elsa area, uh, weighed in at sixteen hundred and eighty pounds. And after it's ginned, this bale of cotton will be delivered to the Harlingen Area Chamber of Commerce as part of their first bale auction and scholarship fundraiser that, will, uh, that they, they will hold on September 14th. Um, the company, Wyatt Agri-Products, as we understand it, uh, mul operates multiple 
farming entities in Texas, primarily down in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, which is where this area, the, the cotton came from, and uh, they received a $3,000 award for, for providing the first bale. So uh, congratulations to those folks. We'll be keeping tabs on, uh, on the first bale auction and scholarship fundraiser because it's always a, it's a great program that they have down in that area uh, to raise money for, uh, for scholarships. For, for a lot of high school students and, and other folks in that area to move ahead with their education. so Very cool. Absolutely very cool. And while we're in Texas, uh, moving up into the High Plains area, uh, there's uh, the Adobe Walls Cotton Gin in Spearman, Texas, uh, is undergoing a $14.5 million expansion at, uh, as we speak. They're adding a second cotton gin line and press, and with that addition, it will make it uh, make this gin the largest cotton gin facility in the U.S. Uh, they are working as quickly as possible to get this uh, to get the facility finished. It's scheduled to be up and running and functional by mid-October, which in that neck of the woods is just in time for uh, for harvest. Uh, last year, the facility this gin uh, gin more than 140,000 bales of cotton. Uh, the new facility is is expanded to be seven percent larger which is going to allow it to more than double its current production. So congratulations to those folks. Uh, they're sitting right in the middle of a huge cotton patch up there. So uh, anything they can do, obviously, to, uh, to get that cotton out of the field and, and through the gins, this will certainly make a, a huge difference in, in speeding that process up. Yeah, good, good time for the help, or rather a good sign of the health of the industry as a whole. Right. Is you know, how well these gins around the country do. I know nobody knows that better than Jim Stedman, whose wife works at uh, 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 Mid-South. Southern Cotton Ginners. There it is, Southern Cotton Ginners. Sorry, (laughs) sorry, Tim and Andrea. I had a (laughs) mental lapse there for a minute. But we know it better than anybody. You know, we want to see all of our gins doing well. And with acreage being the way it is this year, you know, it's, it's a rising tide floats all boats situation out there in the cotton belt. So good on good on those folks in Texas. Uh, what do we say, Adobe Walls? Adobe Walls, yes. Good for y'all. Well done. All right. Um, one last item. Uh, we talked a little bit, quite a well, last year when we were uh, in our Cotton Companion conversations, uh, we spent some time talking about a new world cotton contract that the International uh, Intercontinental Exchange, or ICE, uh, had been working with uh, a number of merchant organizations uh, around the world to, uh, to who were interested in putting a new or a different optional cotton program in place in order to, uh, to buy and sell cotton and move it around the world from multiple locations. Uh, it was designed as an alternative to the U.S. Cotton Futures contract that has been and still is the industry benchmark. Uh, well, the new product, is, is, uh, as it turns out, just didn't take off. Um, and despite early expressions of interest, it just didn't attract much volume after it was launched in, uh, in late 2015. Uh, the, last tr- the last trade on it took place just about a year ago, and uh, ICE has now said it has delisted that World Cotton contract effective June 12. So um, I think it was, it was a program that a number of people were interested in, I've talked with uh, with a few merchants in the in the business and kind of asked them what was going what happened with it. Uh, they said again, in theory, 
It was a great program. Uh, but with, uh, with the way U.S. production was going, with the way movement around the world was going with cotton uh, at this point, it was a program that uh, the structure was put in place without a whole lot of details behind it. It was the way it was described to me. Uh, that doesn't mean it was a bad program. It just means that uh, I think there was some confusion and maybe just uh, a few things that weren't quite squared away when the program was, was launched. That doesn't mean it's dead by any means. Uh, uh, depending on what will happen in the market, uh, this program could always come back. But at this point, uh, they tried, didn't quite work, and, uh, and we move on. And one last thing, this, uh, this was not on Beck's list. Uh, about a week ago, I had the opportunity to work with uh, the National Cotton Council in doing some, uh, some media training for their Emerging Leaders program, the, uh, the 12 members of that program for, for this year. Uh, and I just want to give a, a shout out to, the, to those folks. Uh, that was a group of very, very bright, very intelligent, uh, very energetic young leaders in, in the cotton industry. And uh, if there are any indication of, of what we have coming in terms of leadership, uh, this industry is going to be in great shape for, for a number of years. Uh, again, 12 members, five of those were producers. Uh, we, one was a Jenner. We had three merchants, uh, one warehouser, uh, one person working with a marketing co-op, and one from the manufacturing side over in, uh, in North Carolina. So it was a nice, diverse group. Uh, Again, uh, my my hats off to them. They're uh, they're they're going to be good if uh, if all if if they stay with it through uh, through through the rest of the training and uh, and into the years ahead. Yeah, and and a shout out to the National Cotton Council for you know going out and finding these people, identifying, grooming the young leadership uh, in this industry. It's work that you, we don't really, people around the industry don't really think about. You just every, you know, every year there's a new uh, president or there's, right. you know, a new leadership at ACP or NCC and you just don't think about where these folks come from. Well, they don't appear out of thin air. You know, that it comes from the council doing that uh, farsighted uh, work of, hey, we need to find these people early on groom them, right. get them integrated into our system, and that way we can ensure that we have good leadership for generations, years and years to come. Make, so. make sure they understand the programs, make sure they understand what uh, what the industry, how all aspects of the industry work, because as, as you saw, you know, they came from all different aspects, all different segments of the industry. Um, you know, and not just from a production and, and ginning and manufacturing perspective, but also from the political side. Uh, Absolutely. The political more, issues more that yeah that are impacting uh, impacting not just cotton but agriculture as a whole. So again, it's a great program. Uh, we look forward to uh, to crossing paths with those folks again further down the road. Absolutely. So so all right, Jim. Thank you for uh, leading us once again in our hard news uh, segment. I want to transition now into uh, have a little bit more in depth conversation about this issue of uh, dicamba use and some issues that are popping up uh, here in the Mid-South, especially um, with what we're seeing is uh, dicamba drift that uh, has reared its ugly head uh, again here in the Mid-South. It was well covered uh, last year during the production season, the issues that they had with dicamba drift over in Arkansas 
and in Missouri, it had, it uh, it was a volatile topic. It was an issue where uh, things got heated in a lot of situations. The Arkansas Plant Board, in particular, received uh, over 100, I forget the exact number, uh, complaints, uh, instances of dicamba drift where people lodged formal complaints. Um, there were some well-publicized uh, incidents of violence where, uh, I believe, uh, an argument over dicamba drift resulted in a death, a shooting death. Uh, actually, just the NPR, of all people, just did a feature on that uh, little six-minute segment that I just listened to last week about this incident that happened, I believe it was over in Arkansas, Yes. Um, where a dispute resulted in a shooting uh, over dicamba drift. So uh, since that time, what happened was uh, the crop got harvested. We all know, not to rehash anything, but last year uh, the dicamba products, uh, specifically Extendamax with Vapor Grip from uh, Monsanto, had not been approved for use. The technology inside the plant was approved, but the actual herbicide had not been approved at that point, so people were using older formulations, and it was thought that that's why we were getting into trouble because the new formulation that was introduced by Monsanto does have uh, this technology in it that helps it stay on target. Mm -hmm. So here we are 2017. Jim, we are just getting into hot and heavy weed control time of the year and we're starting to see some of these complaints again. We first heard about them oh, a couple weeks ago was the first time. About I a week saw, and a half ago. Yeah, yes. I saw a headline and I believe the complaints were coming out of Arkansas yes. again. I guess I'll start there. Jim has been uh, on top of this more deeply than I have, so I want to really pose a few questions to him. Uh, is this just happening in Arkansas, Jim? And if so, why here and not elsewhere across the belt? Because we know that uh, the Extend technology package, rather this right. dicamba tolerant technology package, is being used in all corners of the belt. It's extremely popular. Absol so, absolutely. So why just around here? I think Arkansas, probably because of the sensitivities from last year, uh, and also because I think there's several factors involved here. Uh, yes, there are there are increased cotton acres in Arkansas, and a lot of those acres were planted to the Extinflex varieties um, that uh, that are tolerant to not only to Extendamax but also to the Ingenia uh, herbicide, uh, the dicamba formulation from BASF. Um, you have uh, you've got expanded cotton acres. Uh, Arkansas is still very, very, still a very, very strong soybean producing state, and the vast majority of these complaints uh, that we're seeing right now are coming out of soybean fields that were not planted with Extend soybean varieties. So, in other words, conventional soybean varieties. And uh, you know, I, I, I had one person in the business tell me, you know, uh, many, many years ago that you know you could open a uh, a jug of dicamba and a soybean field two miles away would just start cupping. Uh, it's that sensitive to, uh, to the product. And, and in spite of the fact that, uh, that the new formulations are lower volatility and, are, uh, and generally do a much better job of staying where they were, they're placed, uh, you're still dealing with dicamba. Um, one thing that uh, I think what we're finding out of Arkansas at this point is the latest numbers I saw this morning. Uh, 135 complaints as of yesterday. Just this year. Just this year. 17, wow. To the state plant board. That's over 17 counties. 
Uh, there's one county that, that reports of, of 20,000 acres uh, damaged to a cert, to whatever extent. No one knows at this point how much yield loss is going to come out of that. Uh, the Arkansas last year, based on all of the problems they had with dicamba, only approved one of these new new formulations to use in the state this year, and that was Ingenia, uh, the BASF product. Uh, anything else that was used uh, would simply be off-label uh, for this year. Um, as of yesterday and because of all this sudden rash of complaints in Arkansas, uh, the Arkansas Plant Board voted yesterday to limit dicamba applications of Ingenia to hooded sprayers only with a one mile downwind buffer. Now that's a recommendation that the plant board puts in place that still has to go to the governor for his signature and uh, to the legislature for you know for an okay. But that's uh, that's kind of the the movement that we're seeing in the state at this point. One thing I want to point out is the state extension specialists, Monsanto and BASF did an extremely thorough job in putting together and providing training programs and materials to growers about how to work with these products within the limits of the label. Uh, it's not just the growers, but applicators, retailers, anybody who's going to touch or use these products with these cotton and soybean varieties had to go, had to go through this training. It wasn't optional. It was a mandatory training. Uh, and in mo most cases, Growers, in order to even purchase these new dicamba formulations, had to go through the training and be certified to, to do so. Uh, so the companies did everything they could do at this point. Uh, I think what, we've, what we're also seeing is uh, in the Mid-South, we had an extremely wet spring. We got an early spring, and a lot of plants got into the ground early. Uh, then we had a lot of rain. We've had some flooding in some areas. Uh, and so you, you find yourselves, uh, pigweed just basically doesn't sit there and wait for, for everything else to, to catch up to it. And in some cases, we may have growers, may have situations where uh, people just felt like they needed to get in and clean things up. Uh, so there might have been some, uh, you know, speculation at this point is, you know, maybe some of the wrong nozzles were used. Uh, maybe wind speed was, you know, ignored slightly. Uh, buffer zones uh, may or may not have been been kept in place the way they were they're labeled to, or some of the night applications, uh, which would find themselves in a condition of uh, of a temperature inversion, uh, obviously would be a, a a huge huge factor in all of this. So. Um, Again, a lot of discussion over the last couple of weeks. You mentioned Arkansas. Uh, Mississippi's had some complaints. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the last number I saw, by June 6th, they'd had 26 complaints. They had 13 total last year. Uh, Missouri and Tennessee both had some problems, issues with it last year. Uh, their reports right now are very, very low, but they're also just entering the, uh, the spraying season. And I think the, uh, the weed specialists in both those states are kind of getting – you know, getting, getting ready, yeah. getting ready, a little concerned. Uh, we've heard some reports out of Texas, uh, particularly down in the uh, in the coastal area in the Brazos uh, Brazos Bottoms. 
that growers worked with it and they've been very, very pleased with it. And I think that's the report we're hearing from a lot of sources is that under the right conditions and applied by label directions, the products have worked very, very well. Uh, Texas, obviously, uh, their biggest concern is going to be wind speed just because the wind never stops blowing uh, down there. So, uh, But right now, they're, they're comfortable with where they are. There's been, uh, there haven't been at least the publicized complaints that we've heard out of the Mid-South. Um, well, uh, you know, on that <coughs> note, and I, and I understand that the Arkansas Plant Board's new suggestion, I understand this because you were just telling me about it this morning, uh, is to implement uh, this rule where you, if you're going to apply, you have to be applying via a hood. Mm-hmm. Um, to be sure, we are we are we have a good relationship with the folks at uh, Wilmar Hooded Sprayers. Uh, there's a new company that's coming into cotton. Uh, our friends at Blue River Technology that are uh, incorporating some. Uh, precision components with their hoods like hoods are always a great idea in my opinion hoods couldn't help if the issue is inversion which you men- mentioned a second ago could they not i mean you, what i'm saying here is I, I don't know that wind is the issue let me uh, i'm i'm i'll answer i'll answer the question but i want to say first of all obviously i'm, I'm raising my hand saying i am not a weed specialist <laughs> no you have to tell me right now <laughs> i am not a weed specialist <laughs> i didn't even stay at a holiday Inn express last night so uh so i you know i'm i'm basing this off of conversations with with weed specialists and reports and things that we've seen over the over the last week um well, but yeah, and because it, we read the story. Right. But, I saw Larry Steckle was quoted mm-hmm. talking about this inversion. Right? right. But let me let me just kind of back up for a minute because if, if you're living in the Mid-South right now and you're out outside right around dusk because of the level of moisture that we've had and just because it's June and we're starting to move into the summer and humidity levels are anywhere from, you know, 70 to 90 percent, right around sunset that air starts getting really damp and getting really heavy, and you can feel it. I can feel it in my backyard when you know I'm walking out there, and, and it's not uncommon early in the mornings to see a little bit of fog hanging low on the ground mm-hmm. and everything. These are kind. Of, these are inversion conditions. Um, Larry Steckel at, at University of Tennessee uh, has done a, a great job in the past week of putting together some video presentations on again reemphasizing the proper use of these products but also explaining inversions and why you should have why growers should avoid applying under those conditions um, what you're basically dealing with in an inversion uh, the air column as, as Larry explains it the air column is cooler at higher temperatures and warmer at the ground that's your normal conditions in the summer warm air low to the ground cooler air up high in an inversion, it flips, and the air that becomes warmer up high and cooler at the ground. Mm-hmm. And when any product, but particularly dicamba, is applied in that cool air conditions, they just kind of hang in some cases. The majority of it will hit the ground, will hit the target just like it's supposed to, but it will also just, some of the particles will hang in the air. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're applying late evening or right at dark um, they're just going to stay put until the next morning when the sun comes up 
everything flips back and a breeze generally will will move in and it's going to move particles. Uh, that's the case, that's the situation that we think uh, most weed specialists believe the problems are coming from that because a, a number of growers who have who have seen problems have been applying the product exactly the way the label reads, exactly the way they were they were trained right. to do. So it's uh, it's almost an environmental issue at this point. That's at least from my perspective. Sure, and I, uh, and I, I with your uh, admitting, or rather, copying to the fact before you just explained inversion <laughs> to me. And I'm not a meteorologist. Who still couldn't pass a test on it, right? So with that in mind, I know, I know you're not a weed specialist. I am tempted to ask, okay. Does that mean that there should be a time component to these to this label or to these regulations of when you can apply? You know, because it uh, does this only happen late in you know, like does this inversion process happen only with later in the day applications? And I and I don't expect you to answer that yeah, question. I, I, I would I would love to pose that to Larry Steckel. Sure. Well, and I think it's one of the things Larry covered in one of his one of his videos yeah. is 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 the proper timing yeah. on this is start you know don't go out there first thing in the morning because yeah. you still got you still got a little bit of you know heavy air sitting along along the ground but say from mid-morning to mid-afternoon is probably going to be the prime prime time for you know for these applications provided wind speed isn't isn't a factor uh, he's basically says you know anything from late afternoon to early evening and certainly after dark no not at all uh, that those conditions are, are very very conducive to making this product work and, and again I understand the, the 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 impact or the the word out of Arkansas that let's just apply it under hoods you know and that makes a lot of sense it really does because you know the hoods basically contain the product into a very small area it's concentrated right down on the plant and onto the weeds and you know with with minimal opportunity to move sure but at the same time once that hood passes the uh, you know passes over the plant and the plant in itself is is exposed there's still I mean anything is possible right at that point if it's lingering as if you it's say. lingering you know but but it's going my my opinion you're gonna see you're gonna see less lingering from a hood than you're going to from a spray boom 24 inches above above the ground so uh, it's an unfortunate situation uh, I think there was a little concern on a lot of people's minds uh, going into this that it's go it was going to be a, a year of learning uh, hopefully positive and I think it still could turn out to be a very positive positive year I think the product has a great place in in the market uh, and growers have have done everything they can do to you know to adapt and, and try to make it work uh, so we'll see. We'll see what the, uh, you know, what the situation is. We're going to be running out of uh, out of spray season very soon. Uh, so we'll we'll talk to uh, we'll continue to talk with growers. We'll continue to talk with our our friends at the universities and and certainly our friends at, with the companies to uh, to see where we move ahead from here. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, we want to. We want to close the door on that conversation. Uh, while we have the opportunity, we know it's an issue that uh, will continue to impact 
the cotton belt this summer and so we will keep an eye on it going forward so with that we want to go to a quick break and we'll get out of here on the flip side of that so stick with us So, all right, that is going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, You may have noticed we are doing a new subscription drive, uh, which is kind of tied to our podcast platform. In fact, if you are listening to this, you may have already been asked to sign up or re-sign up. And if you've done so, we thank you for that. If you haven't, please subscribe to our newsletter and or magazine, our e-newsletter, I should say, and or our magazine Uh, You can do that by visiting cottongrower.com. You simply scroll to the bottom of the page and you can click on the subscribe link at the bottom there and resubscribe. Guys, as as you all know, our magazine, our podcast, anything we offer is free. We never charge our growers for anything. Our business model is based upon our subscription lists and uh, so you would be doing us a gigantic favor Uh, in order for us to be able to continue to provide you with ag service journalism We need you to simply help us and resubscribe. Even if you're already getting the magazine or the podcast or the e-newsletter, the uh, more recently you sign up, the better it is for Cotton Grower Magazine. So with that said, I want to thank you sincerely for joining us today. If you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your buddies, tell your farmer friends about the Cotton Companion podcast. They can uh, subscribe or receive the podcast in three easy ways. The first is very simple. Go to cottongrower.com, find the search bar at the top of the page, and type in Cotton Companion. There you will find an archived list of each of our 20-some-odd... This is 27 we're finishing today. 27, there you go. 27 episodes, uh, all on highly intriguing topics, I promise you. Uh, You could go there and uh, find those episodes there. The second way, subscribe to our channel on iTunes. If you have a smartphone, you're familiar with the iTunes setup, Uh, you can go ahead and subscribe to the Cotton Companion channel. If you do that, you can go one more step. Leave us a rating. Let us know how you think we're doing uh, here at the Cotton Companion podcast. The third way, in my opinion, the best way to receive the Cotton Companion podcast is to uh, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-newsletter. Jim here works hard to pack that thing with all the relevant news of the day, and they hit your email inbox each Tuesday morning like clockwork. Occasionally during the production season, they will hit your inbox on Thursday mornings as well. You can subscribe to the Cotton Grower e-newsletter by simply going to cottongrower.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, find that subscribe link, and go ahead and give us your email address to receive the Cotton Grower e-newsletter. Finally, please be sure that you are following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter and on Facebook you can find us simply by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you are enjoying our latest issue that is the May June issue. issue. Had to check with Jim here. Um, (laughs) The the next one you will receive is actually going to be a a while. It's our August-September combined issue which won't hit your mailboxes until the first week or so of September. So for now you can just bear with us digitally via the podcast and the website and our e-newsletters. 
This podcast is produced by Mr. Mark Antonelli. He works at the Mothership, Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode, the 28th episode, as it were, of the Cotton Companion podcast. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Mr. Jim Stedman, we wish you and your cotton farming operation all the best. <laughs>